Welcome to our weekly Church on the Rock podcast. For more information, visit us at churchak.org, download our Church on the Rock AK app, or like us on our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy our weekly podcast. That's where we're going in our series these next few weeks, all the way up till Christmas Eve, Age of the Messiah King. And uh, I got my notes up here because there's some things I can't forget. Oh, if I forget, I'd be in big trouble. Um, Christmas Eve uh, coming. Yeah, that's going to be a great day. But until we get there, uh, we're going to be marching through um, this passage in Isaiah that we're going to be looking at. Uh, but today's message, actually the title, the subtitles t- for today, we're going to be looking at Uncommon Name, Jesus Christ, the Uncommon Name. Um, now, the birth of Jesus, uh, when you think about this, it, it had to have been a bit confusing for the world. There were so many things that made sense, yet so many things that didn't make sense. Uh, even today, we, we hear, well, the angels announced peace on earth and goodwill to men, but you look around and, boy, there's a lot of stuff going on. Israel's at war and uh, there's demonstrations and there's cities and uproars and there's political maneuvers and upheavals and all kinds of stuff going on. Uh, Then you have this quiet night over 2,000 years ago uh, and there was a star that marked a spot where Jesus was born, where God became flesh. And today you've got millions of neon signs marking the spot where the big sale is. So you can run there and get your great gift, which, well, that perfect gift might get returned because it doesn't fit. I don't know. But uh, the first Christmas was kind of a poor one. It was shoved off into a corner. It was an interesting, it was a manger, it was a feeding trough, it was a barn, actually a cave where animals were, and, and uh, swaddling clothes and stuff like that. Yet our Christmases are so dazzling. I mean, there's a display of wealth where millions go spend millions of dollars as the markets capitalize on the season. What a contrast. Then you've got wise men who come and they worshiped this king. It's an interesting thing what the wise men did. Well, I'm not going to get into that until a later message, but it's quite remarkable. Yet today you have fools throwing parties, ignoring all that Jesus has even accomplished. I mean, uh, the babe in Bethlehem was born savior of the world. And then you have all these prophecies. Now, I don't know if you've ever really studied out the prophecies of, of Jesus coming. It's interesting because it had to have been a little confusing for the prophets. Because you got these Old Testament prophets, and they couldn't really, I don't know if they really fully understood what they were saying about this coming Messiah, because their own uh, prophecies at times seemed to contradict each other. One prophet, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, would write, about this coming conqueror who would rule the world, a savior and a deliverer of men. And then the same prophet would sit down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and write a man of sorrow who was lonely and rejected. And you go, kind of, what's going on here? 
Then you got the prophet writing, the king of glory, the king of heaven, the eternal savior, the desire of all men. And then you have the prophet who sits down and says, well, there's no beauty that men would desire him and that he was a servant and that he was bloodied and that he was crucified and he would die. Scratch your head over that, huh? Then you got a prophet who would come and he would say, he will come with flaming fire to take vengeance on his enemies. You got another prophet who says he will come preaching peace. Like, what's going on here? Then you got this other prophet. See, this prophet, he says, I don't know. I'm not sure they could fully understand. Maybe they wrote these and they looked at them and they were a little bit confused about Christmas. It had to be perplexing. But I think what was going on was these Old Testament prophets, could it have been that they maybe confused the first coming with the second coming? Because they prophesied both, really. I mean, they prophesied this Jesus who would be born, a servant, to suffer, born to live, to die. And yet the second coming, where Jesus would come again in fire, in glory, and place all his enemies under his feet. Uh, maybe the two were blurred. Maybe they're... But now we can distinguish. We, we, we understand more fully as time has passed. But either way, Jesus did come to earth. And that's the good news. I mean, whatever you're going through, whatever uh, stress you're under, whatever relational stress, whatever difficulties you might be enduring this season or stuff that you're pressing against, you know, and no matter what you're going through, if we're walking with Jesus, he, he supersedes all of that. Uh, and there's hope. There's hope in the midst of whatever, and we're reminded of that this year. He transcends all that stuff. So we're going to peer into Isaiah's prophecy. Now, Isaiah is kind of known as the Christmas prophet. I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but uh, he, he prophetically saw uh, so much of Jesus' life and birth and, and everything 700 years before Jesus came on the scene. That's just remarkable. Matter of fact, that alone, that little vein right there, all these prophecies that Isaiah talked about, that right there is enough to prove that there's a God, big time. That's not counting all the other stuff. But that's just one thing. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 says, he wrote this, the, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Now he's talking about, and clarifies this in the New Testament, about the, the land of Naphtali and Zebulun. But in a general sense, he's talking about you and me. He's talking about us right here where, where uh, this passage is saying there's a testimony that's coming and came, and it's in Jesus Christ. And when you believe uh, that us here who have believed, we were once sitting in darkness, and we have seen a great light, and we have received that light in our own lives. John chapter 1, the Gospel of John tells about that. It says that uh, Jesus is the light of the world. He gives light to every man who comes into the world. Jesus is the light. I love Christmas lights. I love them. Matter of fact, I put up Christmas lights around our house outside. I do it every year, and I, I, did, I did it before Thanksgiving, a week before. Yeah, so take that. <laughs> I did. I like light. I enjoy Christmas. I love Christmas. I love the holidays. I love all that stuff. I just always have. My dad did, and, and I'm, I'm all in. But I understand what the light represents. 
And I actually love it when you go in the stores and they start decorating early. I know, it's, I know they got alternative, you know, they're, they're, it's all about marketing and, and stuff, lights on the trees, but <laughs> they do this, and they, they, they may not know what the light represents, but the light is Jesus. See, this is, this is happening. Um, and uh, every light has a message. And Isaiah went to, on to describe this light that was given to us with some really powerful names of Jesus Christ. Uh, the light. And this is the passage we're going to be focusing on for the rest of this month, uh, this and a little more, but Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 says this, for unto us a child is born, to us he is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I cannot think of a verse that's more descriptive of these beautiful names of Jesus Christ, the light that came into the world. These four names have, they're like uh, double names. Um, God is so great that the Bible gives him no less than actually three, 300 names when you look at all of them. So this morning, we're going to look at 299 of them. No. <laughs> we'll be here till Anyway, the, 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 but these names come in a form of actually six gifts, not like a present with a bow and a ribbon on it you put it under a tree. But they're embodied in the name of Jesus Christ. They're embodied in him, the person Jesus. Uh, now, there's a lot of prophecies foretelling the birth of Jesus Christ coming. But these gifts, these six glorious truths concerning Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that's what they describe. But before we actually unwrap them, uh, one by one, there's a couple things you need to know. First of all, when the prophet says there, he shall be called a wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, everlasting father, it doesn't mean that Jesus actually bears these names in the sense like Mary would say, James, go tell a wonderful counselor it's time to eat. That'd be kind of weird, you know? Oh, the wonderful, mighty prince of peace, mighty God is here. You know? um, but rather, these titles are descriptive of the character and the personality of Jesus Christ. He is the kind of person that was prophesied, that was portrayed here. And so uh, th these are not just mere names or titles of, or descriptive phrases of some uh, ancient historical figure or, or the lyrics that we sing at Christmas time on songs, you know, or what you might see on a Christmas card written down. This is much more than that. These are titles expressing what Jesus is to you and to me personally. As a matter of fact, you could even personalize, I encourage you to do this, personalize this. You could do this with a lot of the Bible when you read it. But you could say, for unto me a child is given. For unto me a son is given. A child is born for me. As it was for you. And that's what we have the first one. We have, it starts out with this child. I would call that sympathy. Um, the prophets declaring, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, highlights the fact that Jesus be, became human. Fully God, but fully man. Holy human, but holy divine. Both the son of a virgin, but the son of almighty God. What significance does that have for you and I? Well, you can't bypass this. This is huge. It's simply this, that he, he had to be made like us in every aspect of life, every respect, so, so that he could become what the Bible says is the merciful, faithful high priest in the service of God. I know that's a mouthful, but in other words, he had to be the go-between. There was a huge gap between us and God, and Jesus had to come and deal with that gap 
that sin, that separation. He had to stand and pull us together somehow with his life that he gave up. And he did that. That's what the high priest does. That's what he goes before. So he himself suffered. He was tempted. He felt the pressures. He had to stand in that gap in the pressure cooker itself and register everything, personally feel it and work through it and press against it, everything you can imagine so he could fully understand you and I. Hebrews 2, 17 and 18 says this, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation, that's a big word, for the sins of the people. For because he himself had suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Propitiation means it's actually the action of pleasing God. He removed the offense of sin. Only Jesus could do that. Which leads us to Hebrews chapter 4. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence or boldness draw near or approach the throne of grace so that we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What a grand and powerful and glorious invitation you and I have. We just got an invitation right into the throne room of God with all of our attitudes and our sin and our mistakes and our failures and our dirty laundry. You can bring it in and lay it on the floor. And Jesus dealt with it. That's pretty awesome. And he said through his word, there is no temptation or trial that he can't understand. There is no pain, suffering that he cannot sympathize with. Whatever you're facing, he gets it. And he proved it. There's nothing so difficult, so hard, that he can't give you strength to endure. This is the son that was given to you and me. But then it goes on to say the government, I would call that supremacy. The government shall be upon his shoulders. Let me tell you, if Jesus can shoulder the world in the way of the sin of the world. He can definitely shoulder whatever you're dealing with. Contrast that with the structure of our own government today, the separation of powers. You've got the legislative, the judicial, and the uh, executive branches. And they're designed among a lot of reasons. Uh, one is so that no one person or no one group or individual has to bear the weight of everything. But Jesus rules alone. All right, he's the king of kings, the president of presidents. He's the judge of all judges. He's the one. He rules alone. Supremacy and power and authority, it all rests on him. He is the king. You know, there's a lot of thrones out there, but there's really ultimately one throne and Jesus is sitting on it. Aren't you glad about that? Yes, and one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Everything will be placed under his feet. Terrorists can do a lot of damage and run around and terrorize and create fear. And uh, politicians can do a lot of posturing to gain favor with whatever group they can. And armies can rattle their sabers and they're doing it all the time. And, and, and uh, nations can threaten one another. But Jesus Christ sits on a throne and he is always going to be unchallenged and unassailable in supremacy. He has no rivals. We sang that. My God, he's amazing. Thank Jesus that he reigns. Amen. And that's who we serve. You're always in good hands when you live for God. 
Here's the next one, wonderful counselor. I would call that superior. I used to tell my grandkids, I'm superior. <laughs> now they, they think that's how you pronounce superior, superior. I'm really someone. Anyway, can you think of any situation where Jesus has had the wrong, wrong said the wrong thing or spoke the wrong thing? <laughs> can you ever look, find a place where he stuck his foot in his mouth or didn't have words to say anything, maybe just didn't know what to do? I mean, his counsel is unfailing and it's flawless and it's perfect and it's suited for every situation. Always practical, always prudent. There is no problem where Jesus says, well, let me go study up on that. Let me refer to a, like a, a great a therapist. You know, I got to, you know, get, get my... He never had to do any of that stuff. Yeah. Have you ever been so frustrated because you really wanted to help somebody, you really wanted to tell them some really good advice, but you had to say, you know what? I really don't know what to tell you. Jesus never has that problem. Jesus is the one who admonishes us. He tells us the truth. He encourages us to stick to paths of righteousness, and then he gives us the grace to walk it out. Jesus is so amazing. Let me tell you, if you're a parent of small children this Christmas, can I give you some expert advice? Read the directions, okay? If you're going to be putting together stuff, just read the directions. Get, go to, the, go to the, the manual first. It might save you some headache. Um, I'm still really bad about that. But the truth is, we all need really expert advice in this world because life is really complicated. It is. It's complicated. And we need to, every day, I tell you, you should just come to Jesus and say, Jesus, your servant's listening. Speak. I need your wise counsel today and every day. Matter of fact, I needed you today as much today as I did yesterday. That's what I need. Jesus, speak. Your servant's listening. His name is Counselor. That means he helps us with decisions of life. I was just talking to somebody about this. Oh, I think our staff was. We were trying to find a person to do something specific. And we're, we, I've been kind of fretting over this for a couple months. And, and then it dawned on me, I should pray about it. <laughs> you ever do, you would think I would know. You know, I, I do a lot of praying. I do. I, man, I'm just, I'm a prayer guy. And I just totally like, one morning I thought, well, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm going to ask you to help me with this. And that very day, that person stepped forward. And then I was, we were talking to our staff when the other staff people said, you know, I, I, I prayed about that today too. <laughs> I say, well, gosh, it sure would save us a lot of, you know, fretting and stuff. You, you think I would know these things, right? Anybody in the same place, you do stuff and you kick yourself later and go, what's wrong with me? Jesus, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm running back to you. The counselor, he wants to help us with, there are a lot of choices in life and uh, you got to know which one, to, which is the right one. Jesus will never steer you wrong. Do you really trust him? I have to confess, yes, I do. Lord, I'm sorry I wasn't trusting you enough to ask you about that sooner. Um, his, and his word is available. He gives us his word. It's right at our fingertips. Man, I tell you, he, he can't make it any more easy. Getting the principles inside you will do something. Uh, incredible, Jesus is never lacking in advice and an answer for us. He's not just a good counselor, but it says a wonderful counselor. Wonderful. I like that. Um, he himself is a wonder. Wonderful counselor. That, that means he's a miracle worker, a doer of the extraordinary. He is the one who inspires awe. You know one of the dangers of living for Jesus for a long time is you kind of you lose the wonder, the mystery 
the amazement of who he is. You ever, you know, when your kids are growing up, they're at that, they're really at that young age and they're just discovering Christmas and you bring them out and all of a sudden the tree is set up for the first time and they look at it and you see the sparkle in their eye and they got big eyes and they're just kind of looking at it. And then they see the gifts and all the stuff starting to happen and they just, there's just wonder in them. You can see the little wheels turning and they're just trying to take it all in. It's a wonder. And there's this childlike faith in all of us that needs, sometimes needs to be re-resurrected in the wonder of who Jesus is to us. The innocence and the joy. He's a wonder worker. He's the son of God who left heaven to walk earth. Isn't that a wonder? Do you ever just sometimes are you awestruck by how Jesus just, you know, you think of your life and you go, man, I have made some bonehead decisions and I'm, sometimes I'm just a real knucklehead and I just... I, it's just a wonder that he puts up with me. And I walk in blessing. Does that ever like take you back? The wonder of God. You know, there's this, <clears throat> don't lose your wonder and your faith. Story of Christopher Wren who built St. Paul's Cathedral in London. It's just immaculate, opulent, massive, beautiful structure. And he decided to do something incognito. He walked in and talked to the workers. And he, he was going to ask him, what are you making? So the first guy says, what are you making? The guy says, making some money. It's purely why I'm here. I'm, waiting, I'm getting, making, I want that check. He asked another guy, worker, what are you making? He says, I'm making a wall, a really big one. And he asked another guy, what are you making? And he says, I'm building a cathedral to the glory of God. In other words, he hasn't lost his right perspective, his, his wonder of it all. That was what was so cool about Jesus. When he asked Peter, who do you think I am? He said, the Christ, the Messiah. He was awestruck at that moment. The wonder of God hit him, I believe, in that moment. Don't ever lose your wonder of King, amazing, powerful, good, loving Jesus. He'll keep boredom out of life, all right? Jesus isn't boring. He's the wonderful counselor. He's the miracle worker. He's a friend that sticks closer to than a brother. And the Bible says that he will do exceedingly above that which we could ever want or expect or ask. Life with Jesus is an adventure. <clears throat> Remember that chorus we used to sing in the 90s, Jesus, what a wonder you are? I'm not going to sing it. I thought about it, but it's one of those that you could get out, you could kind of go off really weird because it's kind of an interesting chorus. Jesus. No, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to mess it up. I'm not going to destroy it, slay it, kill it. But Jesus is a wonder. And the next one is mighty God, sovereign. I call that sovereign. Mighty God. Jesus is mighty. Not that he just gives us good advice, but he gives us the enablement and power to fulfill that good advice. You ever try to give somebody really good advice and they don't do anything with it? But Jesus, wow, he'll help you do something with it. He'll enable you and empower you. These six truths about Jesus, let me tell you, this is not, um, uh, well, this one right here for a non-Christian or an unbeliever, this is the one that they despise the most. And I'll tell you why. Because the world's willing to acknowledge the baby Jesus. The little eight-pound, wrapped in swaddling clothes, baby Jesus, cute, cuddly, you know, 
that's all good. We can do that on Christmas. You could set up your little manger scene and the farm animals and do the you know nativities and and that's all good. They, okay, hey, <laughs> that's so sweet and little baby Jesus. Uh, but you know, keep because this is the deal. That that really is okay as long as it doesn't pose a threat to my life and my ambition and. Um, what I want to do, and even calling what I'm doing maybe sin and stuff like that. I mean, it's okay if we sing, Away in a manger, no room for the babe. Oh, so cute. The kids love it and stuff. But all of a sudden, if you declare that that baby in the manger is the almighty God, that he is holy, infinite, sovereign over all, um, and that every knee will bow and every tongue confess, and he has come to rule your life. Now we got a problem. You've gone too far now. I was okay if it was just a whole baby and a thing, but now you said he's going, he's, what? Mm, Jesus in the manger, that's one thing, but Jesus on the throne? Now you're talking different. That's something, that's something that becomes a threat. You could see it. Read through Matthew chapter 2. You want to see what happened there? The wise men were coming to worship Jesus. Following the star, says Herod was greatly troubled. Mm-hmm. They came to Bethlehem. No, they came to, to Jerusalem, and they're like, where's this baby? The scribes said, well, it was prophesied it's going to happen in Bethlehem. And then the, Herod secretly pulls him aside. He said, hey, guys, come here. Tell me about this baby. Hey, and when you find him, come and tell me where he's at. I want to go worship him, too. I mean, no, he had no intention on worshiping baby Jesus. <clears throat> Not the little eight-pound baby Jesus. Mm -mm. No, he was, he was afraid of this, this born king, king that was going to be born. He was afraid he would threaten his kingdom and take his throne, you see. And so the angel actually uh, of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream after that and said, hey, take the baby, take Mary, head to Egypt, hide out until I give you word because Herod wants to destroy him. That was a threat. Herod. Matter of fact, when, he, when the wise men uh, got the heck out of there, they did not go back to Herod. They hoofed it out of there. The Bible says he was exceedingly angry. And he, he set out to put to death all the male children, two years and younger, in Bethlehem and all the districts. He was so threatened by this baby that he committed mass murder. He went on a Seek and destroy mission to protect his little throne, his kingdom. It's no different than today. Jesus, mighty God, sovereign God who comes to rule the hearts of men, for many is a threat. Big threat. And they will fight tooth and nail. Because the throne of my heart, mm -mm, that's where I sit. And so this powerful, omnipotent, mighty king is Jesus. And uh, I'm sure people heard my, Isaiah's uh, prophecy here of this uh, wondering, wondering how is this baby going to be mighty God? This is no ordinary child, man. And this was, again, this word was given 700 years before he appears on earth. But Christ has always been the mighty God. I mean, he, he flung the stars into space. He's the one who performs the miracles, and he on the gospels on the roadsides was healing, giving sight to the blind, healing lepers, raising dead people, cleansing lepers without charging a dime. 
Everything he came up against, he won. Jesus always wins. And then he took it further. He took all of our sins on the cross, all the way to Calvary, was buried in the tomb, rose again on schedule, three days labor, conquered death, hell, and sin to prove that he's the one who wins, always wins. And his name stands for free healing and full salvation and will always be that way. No rivals. You know, you can put a new suit on a man, but only Jesus can put a new man in a suit. That's what Jesus does. He's amazing. And his name stands. He precedes all others in priority. He exceeds all others in their superiority, and he succeeds all others in their finality. There's no one like Jesus. Mighty God. If you're feeling weak today, Mighty God will give you strength. Amen? <laughs> yeah. Stand still and know that I am God, he says. We better keep moving. How about uh, uh, everlasting father? I'd call that sensitivity. Um, that's an interesting term, terminology describing. This analogy is pointing to Christ's character again. What does the father do? What does image evoke in your mind? Now, some it could be hurtful and could be painful, but the true image that it should be, <coughs> would, excuse me, would be tenderness, Sensitivity, compassionate, affectionate father. Security, uh, secure in love and provision, protection. That's what good godly dads do. Psalms 103.13 says this, this father-like treatment of us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Jesus is the everlasting father. Hebrews 5.9 says this. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. The author of eternity. The father of eternity. The father of everlastingness. Is that a word? Ever, the creator of everlastingness. The child Jesus has an, this, he has an earthly beginning, but he's the son of God. He has no beginning. He, he is the author of everything that ever was. That, this is powerful. These are powerful words of Jesus Christ. That's why the Hebrews says he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The father of everlasting. We can trust him when the, in the most difficult points in life. And even when life comes to an end for us and we slip into eternity into the presence of God, you know why believers have no fear? Because Jesus rules over eternity. You ever think about that? He rules over everything. You think he rules over everything in this life? Eternity, he rules over everything. And when you belong to him and you go to him, the devil has no say in that. He has no say because God rules in that place powerfully. That's a beautiful, securing thought. You should never, ever fear death when you're with Jesus. It's just a graduation. Well, we better, we better <clears throat> skip to the end here because he's also the Prince of Peace. Call that serenity. Ephesians 2.14 says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down the, in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. The hostility. Were you ever hostile towards God? Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. We talked about in communion today. 
You know, the day, coming, the day is coming when he's going to establish peace with all the nations and subdue all opposition under his feet. But until then, right now, <clears throat> in, the, in the present, uh, he is here on your behalf to bring peace to your life and to bring a calm to your heart. John 16, 33, I've always loved this passage. It says, I said these things to you that you may have peace. In the world, you're going to have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I don't know what your past Christmases were like growing up, if you got a lot of presents or if you didn't get any at all or if you only got a few, but I can guarantee this, when you're walking with Jesus, you'll never have a Christmas without gifts because Jesus Christ is the greatest gift you'll ever have, and he'll never leave you, never forsake you. He'll always be there with you, and the greatest personal gift that you could get and walk in and live in is the peace of God. Peace of God. People hunger and long for peace in their life. Scramble for it in any way they can get it. Jesus in you, the greatest gift. Colossians 3.15 says, and let the peace of God rule your hearts. You got to let that happen. You got to let it happen through relationship with Jesus Christ. How the worship team come out. He is the Prince of Peace. <clears throat> he established peace, but it was a violent, bloody day to do that for him. Peace by force? Yes, by conquest. If you really want peace, you have to contend for it. Contend for it. And Jesus did for us. The Prince of Peace. Means he's the chief head of inner tranquility, right? The night the, uh, the Prince of Peace was born, the angel says, peace on earth and goodwill to all men. Because Jesus, we can have peace with God. Because of what he did on the cross. You know, there's nothing like that feeling. Everything between me and God is okay. That's all good. Because of Jesus Christ. You can't put words on that. You can't put anything on that. It, it, whatever's been clinging to your soul of turmoil, Jesus can arrest that through his power and his presence. He paid the price for our sin. He settled the wrath of God. We can step out of the path of the wrath because we have peace with God. Because Jesus. Hey, today, if you're fighting with God, man, run to Jesus. Settle it. Say, okay, Lord, I'm laying my pride down, laying my sin down, laying all that stuff down. Uh, I surrender. You, I want you on my throne. Jesus, take the wheel. Promise of inner peace. <clears throat> Can't get that in a drink, a pill, a good movie, a relationship, a vacation. It only happens through Jesus Christ. It only happens through King Jesus. Let him settle in on your life. Even this Christmas, be determined. Even if you have to make a fresh commitment. Say, Jesus, I surrender. All these names, wow. God, you are bigger and greater and more magnificent and more wonderful than I could ever imagine. Eyes not seen nor ears heard what you're going to do in the days ahead. Oh, God, how I've made you so small in my eyes. Jesus, enlarge your life in me. Amen? Let the life of God fill you. Let this life 
inundates you daily. The great counselor, the great psychiatrist. Oh my goodness, you talk about good advice. Man, Jesus is amazing. Don't lose your wonder of the king. Your wonder of Jesus. If you have, stop where you're at. Take some time throughout the week in the morning and just say, God, restore the wonder. Restore the wonder. We call it my first love. Oh, let that fire begin to burn once again. Holy Spirit, blow on that. Do something fresh and deep and powerful. God wants you to live in that place of wonder, of expectancy, of God, what are you going to do in my life around the next corner? Life doesn't have to be boring. There's always something up with God. The Bible says he's always creating and doing new things. Lord, in my life, will you do that? doesn't have to be boring. There's new chapters for you. There's new places he's calling you to. New experiences in him. If it's just the same old, same old, get out of the same old, same old in Jesus. Amen? He has new things for his people. If you're bored with a capital B, it's time to say, Jesus, I will not live bored before you. I invite the enthusiasts of God into my life because I am God-possessed. That's where I'm going to live. There's something about being God-possessed. Possessed by Him. Where His creativity is percolating up and, and there's, there's things He has for you. Oh my goodness. Don't put God in a box or in a formula. Say, God, whatever you want to do, break me out of that for my future. Whatever it is, whatever expression, whatever journey, Jesus, the wonder of it all. Thank you for listening. For more of our podcasts and to discover how you can connect, visit us at churchak.org or download our Church on the Rock AK app from either iTunes or Google Play.